It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. On Tuesday, I was sitting on my couch playing with my baby, and I got a news alert on my phone that the Justice Department was suing Google. Uh, It's a phone briefing, we understand, uh, being led by the Deputy AG, Jeffrey Rosen. It's the first time the government has gone after big tech like this in more than 20 years. This morning, the Department of Justice in 11 states filed an antitrust civil lawsuit against Google for unlawfully maintaining a monopoly in general search services and search advertising. I wanted to find out more about the suit, and so I searched for the complaint on my phone. And that search was powered by Google. You know, on one hand, your desire, your urge to go to Google to find that information is what millions and millions of people do every day about the most basic queries. That's Tony Rahm. He covers tech for The Washington Post. And they do this, at least in Google's eyes, because they see Google to be the best search engine available to people right now. But the thing is, Google's search engine is on my phone by default. The government basically argues that consumers like me didn't have much choice in the matter. That Google became the default, not because it's best, but because it struck a bunch of unfair deals. Deals with Apple and other cell phone makers, as well as carriers— Deals that make its search engine and search advertising not just dominant, but unfairly so. And in addition to that, it's made it hard for any other company, any other potential rival, to be the next Google, so to speak. To put together a search engine that you might find even more effective or, you know, a company that could have even more useful products that you might be likely to gravitate toward. Here's the thing about antitrust law. It can feel kind of boring and arcane, but... It affects our choices as consumers, what we see, what we buy, what our options are. So a case like this really matters, especially because it doesn't happen all that often. The government really hasn't gone after a company like this in recent memory. The last time the Justice Department sued a big tech company for antitrust violations was in 1998, when it went after Microsoft. They just have shied away from those kinds of antitrust challenges. We simply have not seen the U.S. government go toe-to-toe in a case like the U.S. government is bringing against Google. Today on the show, the case against Google. The government is trying to police big tech for the first time in decades. So why is this happening now? How strong is the case? And does it matter that it's coming from Trump's Justice Department? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. When it comes to Google, regulators have no shortage of potential antitrust violations to choose from. Internationally, it's faced charges around its shopping service, its advertising technology, and its Android operating system. But this first case in the U.S. is all about how Google made its name in the first place, search. Let's get into the details here. What does the government allege that Google has done? Essentially, what the government is saying is that Google has violated these like nearly century old antitrust laws that are supposed to keep companies in check. You can be big in the United States. Big is not inherently illegal. It can't just do things with that bigness, though, that harm other competitors or harm consumers. Essentially, what the feds are saying is that Google engaged in a host of business practices and struck special deals to ensure its search engine was the default search engine on a wide variety of other sites and services and devices, some of which are actually owned or operated by some of Google's competitors. So for instance, if you're using an iPhone, as I happen to be as I'm recording all of this, the default search right there is Google. And the reason that Google is the default search on iPhone is because Google paid a whole heck of a lot of money to Apple to ensure it was the default search on iPhone. And it's through those sorts of agreements that Google has brokered uh, with a number of these device makers and payments that Google makes to some of these companies that the Department of Justice says that Google is acting in an anti-competitive and illegal fashion. What does all this stuff mean for just regular people who probably use these products but are not, you know, going to be digging into the legal filings here. Right. I think on the most basic level, the government would say that the products and services you use every day would be better if there weren't this giant company sucking all the air and the money out of the room. The government's argument here is that, you know, newer, cooler, perhaps more effective ways of searching the web or using their phone uh, just don't come online because nobody can compete with a company like Google. But if you talk to a lot of antitrust experts, they say that even if you take it out of the context of this individual search case, there are just bad things that are associated with large companies that dominate the spaces that they're in. You know, if you don't like the way YouTube handles something like hate speech, for example, there are a few other places to turn because YouTube is such this dominant force in online video. So in many ways, the harms can be kind of abstract. You know, Google's response to this has been people use our product because it's the best. And, you know, if someone doesn't doesn't like it, they can switch their default search engine. I'm not sure I even know how to switch the default search engine on my phone. That that feels like something that is a step beyond most consumers. Yeah, absolutely. We see this in a number of contexts, but it's something that's going to be litigated here. Like this is one of the primary battlegrounds between the Justice Department and Google. Is it enough that there is a setting somewhere in the universe that you're able to change uh, from Google to another provider on search? 
And if it is the case that things are that easy, they're, 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 they're just as simple as Google says, why is it that Google has to spend so many billions of dollars making itself the default and shutting out other search providers from having that pole position on a great many devices and services? The last huge fight between government and big tech. Again, this was back in 1998. I was a senior in college. That fight went on for years. At one point, a judge ruled that Microsoft should be broken up. But the case was eventually settled. People who followed that case say that the government is deliberately making some familiar arguments now. You know, in the eyes of one of the former government officials I talked to for our story, he said basically the government was leaving a trail of breadcrumbs for a federal judge. They can say, hey, look, this bad thing that Google is doing, this allegedly illegal thing, looks a whole lot like something that you previously have ruled to be illegal. It's the same kind of content. So, you know, it's not something that's unfamiliar. It's not untrodden legal territory necessarily. There's some precedent for what the government is alleging here. The EU's levied some fines against Google, but but it's been a, a pretty long time since there has been a significant antitrust action against a tech company in the U.S. Why is that? I mean, first and foremost, there is bipartisan interest right now yeah. in taking a close look at Google and other big tech companies. But frankly, it wasn't always that way. We, there, were, there was a period of time in recent memory in the, in the course that I have been on this beat for the past decade where I don't even think most Democrats and Republicans in places like Capitol Hill had a full appreciation of what these companies were, much less recognize the power that they could bring about in the political space and in the markets and so forth. Uh, and so it has just taken a long time to get folks throughout Washington to really understand what these companies are and what they do and how they operate, and then more more importantly, figure out how to apply some of these very, very old laws to business operations that just weren't contemplated when the laws were written in the first place. I mean, we're talking about laws that were essentially used to to break up standard oil. Th these are not laws that are aimed at fast-moving technology companies. Right, exactly. And and so there has definitely been a bit of an awakening in Washington about some of these issues. Um, there have been times when the government has taken a look at tech companies, and Google actually is the best example of this. The government had embarked on this major probe of the tech giant and its search and advertising business, but it wrapped up that investigation in 2013 without really bringing any significant penalties. And in the eyes of critics, it really, at the time, stood as an example of Washington being a bit feckless against Silicon Valley, not having the political bandwidth, not having the legal resources, whatever the reason, to go after these companies that they saw at the time as a serious concern. You know, I covered Congress and the White House in the Obama era. And you're right, there was a sense then that there wasn't that much enforcement of antitrust when it, come, when it came to big tech, that they were sort of, quote unquote, good companies in, in the eyes of a lot of people in Washington. What do you think has changed? Right. They were good companies. They were great companies if you were trying to raise money from them, uh, <laughs> as the Obama campaigns in 08 and 12 learned. Um, I actually distinctly remember Obama sitting at Google headquarters talking to Google employees in the 08 campaign. You know, for them, it was this like cool thing that you did if you wanted to show that you were a tech-focused candidate. And Obama got all that praise for using a, a BlackBerry, I think, uh, if I recall correctly, back yeah. in the day. Uh, but I think the 2016 election really kind of brought the ills of the tech industry to light. 
We had things like Cambridge Analytica and the privacy scandals that emerged out of Facebook. We had the disinformation that was brought to light as a result of uh, the Mueller investigation uh, and some of the work that Russia was doing to try to sow discord. And suddenly it just all seemed, I think, to a lot more folks on Capitol Hill and elsewhere that perhaps they had overlooked some of these problems for too long. Like we knew bad stuff was on the internet. We knew there were privacy issues on the internet well before 2016. But I think the stakes in all of that really became apparent in that election. And then the scrutiny dial was just turned way up from there. This investigation into Google at the Justice Department was opened about a year ago. You wrote about it then. And I guess I wonder, as someone who covers this, did it feel different to you, say, from 2013? Was there something where you said, oh, yeah, no, this is real? Oh, it felt serious. It was pretty clear that the Justice Department last summer went into this with the goal of doing something. What had made it a little bit confusing was the way that the Justice Department had announced it. It was coming at a time when the Trump administration was really focused on these allegations of conservative bias. Mm. So it confused a lot of people because on one hand, they were finally getting the thing that they wanted, which was a more serious government inquiry at looking at Google and some of these other companies. But on the other hand, it was happening in this very strange political moment when Trump was attacking these companies for being biased. We'll be right back. Now, roughly a year since the investigation began, and only weeks before an election, the Justice Department filed suit. Eleven state attorneys general have also signed on. But despite broad bipartisan support for some kind of federal antitrust action, Every one of those 11 AGs is a Republican. This is a suit from a Republican-led Justice Department with a bunch of Republican state attorneys general. What happened to tech being a bipartisan thing? The important thing to know is that a judge, when they take a look at this complaint, is not going to look differently because it's a bunch of Republican attorneys general on it as compared to a bunch of Democratic and Republican attorneys general. The complaint is the complaint. The lawsuit is the lawsuit. It will be litigated uh, regardless of who actually signs on to that thing. Is it possible to see this through a nonpartisan or bipartisan lens? Or, or are we in a place where everything is so freighted with partisan conflict that we can't just say the government sues Google. At least in terms of the initial reaction, there was a a sense of bipartisanship. Jerry Nadler, who runs the House Judiciary Committee, very, very involved, obviously, in trying to impeach Trump, uh, very praiseworthy, said that he thought it was about time that Google, uh, you know, was taken to court by the Justice Department. On the complete flip side of that, Josh Hawley, very loud Republican, pro-Trump ally, also out there saying it was about time that Google got dragged to court by the U.S. government. Those are folks that you typically don't hear on the same side of issues these days, but they essentially were expressing the same thought, which was that this action was long overdue. Well, you're bringing me to the question of timing here and Attorney General Bill Barr's role. There has been some murmuring that some folks in the Justice Department were uncomfortable with the timing of this suit. What do you think of that? Uh, We had reported some of the same things, that there was this great pressure on the part of Attorney General Barr to get this case done quickly. Um, You know, in one of the stories we wrote, uh, 
we had talked to some sources who told us that there was like a single-digit number of DOJ lawyers as of the summer who were ready to proceed with the case in a department of 40 or so in this informal poll that DOJ had taken to figure out if they were ready to move. And this is in like the July-August timeframe, if memory serves me. Most of them said that they were not ready. But the push on the part of Barr and others was to file this in September. But there, there has been this lingering question about why Barr was moving to do it when they moved to do it. They certainly had the election up ahead of them. There's a chance, obviously, that Trump could lose the election, which would have created all kinds of headaches for filing a case. So the thinking was that that was why Barr was moving ahead as quickly as he was. There's this other school of thought that just says that Barr wanted to get things going. That like he was tired of waiting, it was taking too long, Google's a big business, it would continue to change, and there was some benefit to filing this thing, starting the discovery process, knowing full well that like this case is going to take like a decade. This is not some one and done, heard before a judge, we get a ruling and everything's over sort of affair. So I think that there was a desire to kind of get this thing rolling, even though there was an election kind of looming in the distance. Whenever this case ends, whether that's in a year or 10, the outcome is really hard to fathom. It, it really depends on what the Justice Department tries to, to seek at the end of the day. You know, if it's as simple as getting Google to stop a couple practices that the government deems bad, then maybe the two of them talk. If the government tries to break Google into a billion little pieces, like that's just not going to fly with this company. You know, the, the, the government did not say outright in its lawsuit filed this week that it was going to seek to break apart Google into a billion pieces. But it did say that it was open to, quote, structural relief, which is nerd lawyer speak for forcing Google to sell off parts of its business. And so Google is going to throw every dollar, every resource it has to making sure that that doesn't happen. Well, you wrote about one question that I think is kind of at the heart of, of all of this, which is whether the U.S. government and the existing framework through which it works, laws and courts, are up to the task of policing big tech. Are they? There's a fundamental difference between what we just talked about and this one, right? There's, do you have the ability? And I think the argument is generally yes, they do. And then the second half of it is, do you have the political will? And that's, I think, where this country often has found itself in a bit of a bind in every respect, like tech and otherwise. In this case, it's really going to come down to how aggressively, how creatively can the U.S. government interpret the laws it has on its books. And if it finds that those laws are not sufficient, how hard it's going to work to ensure that the laws get better. And it doesn't have to be the case that we sit around for the next 10 years while this gets resolved in federal court. There are things that Congress could do on privacy, on antitrust, on a great deal of consumer protection issues if there are concerns. And so it really is – this whole case really is a referendum on whether Washington is willing to take all of these like angry statements and letters that they have bombarded us with for the past couple of years about big tech and translate that into something that actually makes a difference for people. Again, you can fight over whether that's the right call or what the right policy is, but this is a real test of whether that rhetoric actually might create some action. Tony Rom, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Tony Rom is a technology reporter at The Washington Post. That's our show for today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and edited by Allison Benedict and Tori Bosch. 
TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. Mary Harris will be back in your ears on Monday. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.